0: Hello, the internet. The following story takes place in the 26th century, seven or eight hundred years after the events of the short story Malachi's Gambit, in my first short story anthology, and about 1,300 years before the events of the final fall of man. It is centred around a Blarin thief and escape artist who would one day become a criminal folk hero named Grendel's Grief. Part 18 Ten years, start to finish. That was how long it took for Grendel's grief to dismantle the Gazor Major Syndicate and every Fleet, Astro Civilian and Corsair connection to it. Not bad, considering the size of the job. But for someone who doesn't like his revenge cold, it was a long time. Sometimes he was amused by which parts of the story the tall tale merchants focused on. Of course, the final outcome in the tale of bloody disproportionate vengeance at its root was popular with everybody. Particularly, and he was quite proud of this fact, with the Fergonac. But there were a lot of details that were greatly exaggerated, and many more that were outright made up. Some of it, like the part where he flew into the core and made a bargain with the Demorakind, or the part with the pirate crew of rogue Echidrednaz in a ship carved out of a comet, were just silly. Other parts, like his adventure into the lowest basement levels of Hapstan's tower to gain the assistance of the dark creatures that dwelled there, he rather wished had been true. The stories changed and grew and changed again, and left him with a lot to live up to. That was the danger of false advertising, after all. Good for the reputation, bad for expectations. Really, once the wheels of commerce and loyalty had started turning, the majority of the process had been barely visible, mind-numbingly legal-tedious, and had occurred at the crawl of Clipper correspondence and in the darkness of unlogged meetings between the stars. None of the meetings had been exciting, and he'd only been looped in on a small percentage of the correspondence. There were people working for him in a dozen systems by the end of it, that he'd never met, and likely never would. There were murders. No, that was a pitifully inadequate statement. There were massacres, far beyond the point at which Grendel's grief felt his need for vengeance satiated, and it became a grim exercise that simply had to be completed. To stop short would have been to allow the entire endeavor to unravel. To leave survivors of the wrong sort would have sent the message that the Syndicate's actions had been ultimately without consequence. Most of the deaths were quiet expedients, a series of systematic executions, demolitions of ships and habitats, entries in a logistical file. Captain Derla Cadale, the so-called Spider, had been right. Five more had sprung up to take his place, and 25 had sprung up to take their places, and 125 to take theirs, with a 20 person melodrama margin for practical purposes. But that was the thing. At around that point it all started to plateau there wasn't 625 to replace the last desperate flurry of syndicate fixers and thugs, captains and operatives, goalie and assassins. Because it's actually very difficult to hire someone for a role that has killed the last four people to hold it. Well, it's actually easy to hire someone provided they're an idiot. It's difficult to hire someone competent, especially since most of the qualified candidates were dead already. Or had been the ones doing the killing. And once you hired them, it was safe to say your organisation no longer existed. Grief had always considered the actual story, the allies he'd made and the means he'd had to employ to gain their trust, to be the more interesting story. And nobody really knew it. Nobody who went around blabbing about it, certainly. And that was funny. Another thing that was funny was that, as part of the organisational change that followed the dissolution of the Syndicate, the Six Species Charter actually required that the planet Gazor Major be renamed, for some obscure reason that Grief never really understood. It also required the rearrangement of the borders, so that the system was inside the central colonies, even though it really wasn't. But it couldn't remain in the inner arc, apparently, and not even the legendary Grendel's Grief could move a star system after stealing it. And so the map had to be redrawn. Gazor Minor remained, but Gazor Major was no more. He only found out when he paid a visit to the bustling planet and updated his star charts that somebody had thoughtfully named it Machalka's World. He never did find out whose idea that had been. Part nineteen. Eight hundred years later, the Blarin and the Bonshoon were dragged into the throne room and flung to the threadbare rug. The guards, brightly dressed and highly polished, stepped back with a clank and saluted with a different kind of clank. Their festive oldie-worldy attire smelled sharply of preservative mist and was tattered and bleached. The smooth white machinery underneath was still in excellent condition, though. So the king leaned forward and fixed the pair with a piercing blue-eyed gaze that was no less bright and jolly for the fact that its source was a pair of sophisticated blue-tinted gel crystal lenses. These are the troublemakers who have been so upsetting my beloved subjects. The Bonshoon pushed himself up on his lower hands, dusted himself off with his uppers, and spat on the floor. Fuck you, clown. It was a common misconception that Bonshooni were all big chubby friendly pacifists. It was mostly true, and that was what made the misconception so persistent. Some were absolute pricks, though. Huxley Bunderwald, despite his rotund physique, broad, honest face, and hysterically misplaced name, was far more than an absolute prick. Huxley Bunderwald was, in fact, a platinum plated, metaflux reinforced, margin pearl studded bastard of the darkest and grimiest caliber. The king sat back on his throne, his expression not changing. It was mostly painted on anyway, so its benign, slightly sleepy smile couldn't change. His face, like those of the guards, was a strange, puffy amalgamation of humanoid and molranoid features, intended to appear sympathetic and non-threatening to human, blaran, bonshoon and molran alike. It might have even worked under normal circumstances. It was the work of master designers, after all. The lacquer was bubbled and scorched on one side of his face, courtesy of a high-powered energy weapon that had failed to get the job done and never been repaired. "'We don't like bad language here, young man,' the king said disapprovingly. "'I can switch to Carl if you don't like Zid,' Bunderwald growled. "'Charflet!' "'Goodness me,' the king said mildly. "'Such a midden mouth!' he turned his kindly half-smile on the Blurren. "'I do hope you're nicer.' The Blurren made no effort to push himself upright, just remained crouching where the guards had flung him. Nicer than Huxley Bunderwald, the sleeper-pod-killer of Judge's Gavel. That's a very low bar to clear, Your Majesty." The King laughed. "'That's true, but don't be so modest. You're Mora Fastell of Nebuchadnezzar, son of notorious swindler Moragon Bazander and Molran Fleet Captain Chorame guinea Fastell, and the criminal underworld of the Six Species knows you as Grendel's Grief. Master thief with a policy of, well, if not no killing, then at least, not as much killing as stealing and never when killing is the point. The king leaned forward again and tilted his head. There was a soft whirring sound from one eye, and it rolled grotesquely in its socket, probably intended as a wink, except the eyelid had fused at some point in the past couple of hundred years. "'That's the official story, and we'll stick to it, eh?' The king continued in a warm, confidential manner. "'You have an impressive information-gathering network at your disposal,' Grief said. "'Oh, I didn't need my little fairy spies,' the king said cheerfully. Why, part of the ongoing legal framework of the planet you stole. The PLANET! makes use of old settlement writs. Of course, Grief said. Bunzo Bunzolabe incorporated writs of... You dare to interrupt his majesty! The guard behind Grief snapped, and drew back his spear to give the Blarren a good seeing tube with the butt. He froze at a gesture from the king, and then settled back in place with another clank. His Majesty the King, at least so he was calling himself in this area of the park, his Majesty the King, Horatio Bunzo I, Monarch of the Sunny Hills, Regent of Dragon Valley and Prince Consort of Fairyland, smiled benignly down at the two intruders. He clucked and shook his head. Still, I have to say, even without that tedious little paper trail, your thefts on commission are the stuff of legend. Many unions and worlds out there consider it a mark of having made it as a culture if Grendel's grief has stolen some great treasure from them. Your Majesty is too kind, Grief, to murder. Why don't you two just get it over with and fuck each other, Bunderwald suggested, displaying in Grief's opinion a regrettable inability to read a throne room. Your friend is very rude, Bunzo said in hurt tones. This is about as nice as he gets, Grief confided. He's a bit freaked out by the whole Sunny Hills aesthetic. I think he was victimized by a twin-species recreationalist historian when he was a young fellow. You- Bunderwald snarled but the menacing motion of the bunzo robots in the gaudy castle guard's attire behind them stopped him short. "'We had a deal, Bunzo,' the Bonshoon went on in an almost moderate tone. "'I deliver Grendel's grief, and you tell me the future.' "'In the future, the six species will be no more, and a new union will emerge,' the king declared grandly. "'Everyone will live in the centre of the galaxy, and a human carrying the sword of the king that never was "'will cut down the Bonshoon veil and open the gates of space.' You probably won't be around to see any of that. You will almost certainly die in three years, eight months, and... seven hours. What? Maybe five, if the weak tertiary vessel walls you inherited from your mother have gone uncorrected to an unfortunate degree," Bunzo added. But plenty of time for us to figure that out, together. You can't... Take him away, Bunzo waved a lace-ringed hand, and Bunderwald was dragged, kicking and screaming from the throne room. Grief settled back on his heels and took in the scene. He didn't think he'd seen and heard someone actually getting dragged kicking and screaming out of anywhere before, and in a long lifetime of criminal experience that was a strange lack. So, the royal facet, the giella really, of the dark and terrible hole, sat back in his throne and slung one gleaming white composite leg in tattered hose over the arm of the great golden chair. It would seem that my bargain with Mr. Bunderwald is complete. He has delivered you, and I have told him the future. "'He was never very good at the whole fine print thing,' Grief said. "'Can't abide loopholes myself,' Bunzo replied. "'Me neither,' Grief shifted direction mid-thought. "'But if I only need to do them better than Bunderwald." "'Well, indeed,' Bunzo laughed. "'I must say, I will be sad to see you go.' He went on with a very realistic little sigh. "'You are an interesting fellow. I don't suppose I could impose upon you to... "'On the contrary,' Grief inclined his head. "'It is I who wouldn't dream of imposing on you.' Very charming, very charming indeed, Bunzo said pensively, and I know of no fewer than four fallback measures you have in place to ensure your safe getaway, which means there must be at least two more I haven't found, eh? So I have little choice, I suppose. Grief, who had to think about his various escape plans for a moment and could only remember setting up three, was very grateful for his augmented body sheathing and its ability to hide his biosignatures from the watchful senses of the world-spanning electronic god. Legend has it that you will answer three questions, he started. My goodness, are there legends already? Bunzo sounded pleased. All right, let's go with that then. Three questions. No, check that. I already know your questions are going to be silly. You don't know what you want. You're bored. Fame and glory and immortality and all that. I will tell you three things. How about that? I'll tell you three things and you can pretend you ask me. Your Majesty is too kind, Grief said again. Hmm. Bunzo smiled down at him and there was another whirring noise as his eyes rolled. Probably this time he was attempting to narrow them in contemplation. You must give yourself up to the authorities, the king eventually said. You must do so in a place that will see you imprisoned in the storm's eye. One day you will be recruited for a secret Astro Corps mission. Its name will be Operation Spider or Project Spider, something to do with spiders. You will accept this mission. The battered old machine paused, looking somehow uncertain despite his lack of expression. Was that three? He waved a hand again. It was three. Let's say it was three. Grendel's grief laughed. You know, he said, growing up. I always loved the stories about Spider Murdoch. Well, that's it for this uh, season, I guess. This whole thing. Uh, that's the story. That's the end of it. I did two episodes in this one because the first one was so short. It was actually shorter than the credits and all that. So I thought, nah, this is a stupid. Anyway, that was it. I might do another story again at some point. I don't know about this whole podcasting thing. I guess we'll see. Bye. Here's the credits. Podcasting service provided by Anchor introductory music provided by anchor it was called house of grendel so i had to use it you can find all of my books on amazon under the name andrew hindle and you can find the blog that this whole podcast came from at www.hatboy.blog original music composed by oliver st john with a little bit of help from various strausses that's it that's the credits